So welcome everybody. Um, I'm happy to introduce this new SESEC uh, podcast topic to you. It's about uh, rotator cuff paper and it's titled Long-Term Outcomes After Arthroscopic Knotless Transosseous Equivalent Repair, Clinical and MRI Results of Medium to Large Tears at a Minimum Follow-Up of 10 Years. And it's a study from beautiful Turkey. And um, I have a very, very, very special guest here with me. And it's uh, Professor Emilio Calvo Crespo. And he's the head of orthopedics and traumatology and the head of shoulder and elbow surgery of the University Hospital, Fundacion Jimenez Diaz in Madrid, in Spain. I hope I spelled it right, Emilio. You very well, perfectly. Thank and you, Robert. As you, as you might know, Emilio is the actual president of the SESEC, the European Society of Shoulder and Elbow Surgery. And therefore, I'm very honored to have you here with us, Emilio. I hope you are doing good in Madrid. We are doing quite well in Madrid. You know, we are suffering like all over the world, the pandemic. Uh, it seems that now we're doing better, but you never know what's coming. But ho hopefully we're doing fine, uh, safe and healthy. And uh, I have to tell you that uh, seconds should acknowledge all your effort with this podcast. I think it's a great tool to um, interchange our opinions and scientific experience. So it's a great idea uh, to be in the front of new technologies uh, in order to disseminate shoulder elbow surgery. So thank you very much, Robert. Thank you very much to all the education committee for this excellent idea. Thank you. Uh, Emilio, you know, it's only possible because of you and the and the XCOM and all the guys who, uh, who lead this uh, great society who allow for doing this and who have uh, the spirit to to do this all together so emilio did do you did you do some rotator cuff surgeries today i did today exactly five cases rotator cuff <laughs> repairs today uh, and it's it's interesting because uh as you know rotator cuff surgery is one of our most common surgeries uh there are many reports in the literature about the results There are some concerns about this surgery, especially uh, repairs or, or postoperative tears. And uh, the results, there are many reports, but, but, but there are not so many reports on long-term results as the, uh, as the study we are dealing with today. So it's a very interesting study because it uh, analyzes the long-term results of radiocopter repair. So let's give our listeners some some background. So this is a study coming from from Istanbul, from Turkey, and they did a really long term follow up study. It's 10 years follow up of uh, rotator cuff repairs in uh, medium to large full thickness um, tears in 61 patients, and they assessed after this long follow up for clinical function, and they did an MRI. And they looked for whether the tendon was healed or not, and they classified it according to the Sugaya classification. And uh, they had a retail rate of almost 20%. What do you think about it, Emilio? Would you, do you have similar uh, numbers on retails, or, or what would you guess? Well, this is very interesting. The retail rate is a very um, controversial topic. You know, there is a famous uh, paper that was published many years ago by Lisa Galas and the group of uh, Yamaguchi uh, reporting over 90% of return rate. That was really disappointing. Uh, and it was hard to tell a patient, well, I can fix your, 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 your tear. We can obtain a good repair, 
but you have to have 90% chance of return. That That's really disappointing, and, and it's difficult to have patients accepting this return rate. Um, 20% is, is probably much more uh, 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 real. Uh, we have to keep in mind that the, those, those um, uh, data reporting, reported by Lisa Gallet many years ago work with different techniques. And in my experience, I have returns, of course. And I cannot tell you exactly what is my uh, return rate, but uh, it should be about 20 to 25%. We analyzed, we published a paper on the return rate. We tried to obtain a, a approximate uh, uh, rate and it was 25%. So it's quite similar to that reported in this, in this study. So 20% of return rate is much more uh, logical and much more easy to be accepted by patients. And these authors report that 80%, almost 80% of their patients after 10 years was very satisfied with the procedure. Um, what do you think about that? Is that also a realistic value? I, th I think it's realistic value. Uh, as you're aware, there are some reports uh, in the literature um, uh, reporting similar results between surgical versus conservative treatment. But so far, it's made clear that there is, there is solid evidence on the benefit of radiocopter repair. Um, the um, major limitation is that the number of studies at long-term follow-up is, is short. But this study is very interesting because of this. We have a follow-up over 10 years and report a, a good outcomes in terms of uh, clinical uh, results and also very quite good outcomes in terms of uh, 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 return rate, which is over 80%. This is quite good numbers. And this is very important for us to let us pay our patients know what, it, what are the expectations of this procedure. During watching this presentation, during the, the virtual Congress we had, um, the authors reported that there was a risk, there, so there were some risk factors for re-tears. One of the risk factors was uh, diabetes. It has a hazard ratio of 3.3. Uh, the other one was the tear size. So once the tear was more than three centimeters, there was a hazard ratio of 5.8. And if the infraspinatus was involved, the risk was also um, increased by a hazard of 4.4. What, what, what do you think about these three risk factors? These three risk factors are, are completely reasonable. Uh, first, diabetes uh, is associated with a poor soft tissue quality, so the risk of returning is is, uh, uh, is higher. Uh, tear size is is also important. Sometimes we feel we are able to repair large tears, as in this case we can do it. But when you, we feel it, we realize that we are uh, performing important releases, trying to bring the tendon back to the original footprint. And this increases probably the tension of these tears. So large tear size is currently uh, logically uh, associated to a larger return rate. And finally, which is very interesting, is the if the preservation or not of infraspinatus. Because if infraspinatus and subscapularis are preserved, we can keep the two pillars of the, of the cable. And if this is the case, probably the pillars are preserved and so, uh, and so the uh, repair construct is uh, under less tension and under less, less uh, uh, forces. 
So this means that it's more suitable to, 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 to be preserved along the years. So it's, it's very important. But, it, but it's also very important because some of, of our colleagues, sometimes us, we believe that we are, because we are technically very skilled, we, we are able to repair the majority of the turfs. And it's important to keep in mind these risk factors, especially to, to uh, have realistic expectations surgically and also to let our patients know what do they do, can they expect. And probably in a patient with a, a uh, torn infraspinatus, which is a probably you're not a good candidate to have a cough repair. Absolutely. I, I would totally agree. Thank you very much for your, uh, for, for your ideas and, and inputs on this. And um, Emilio, I had an interview uh, with these uh, guys, online interview. So let's start and listen to what the authors do have to tell us. I'm very honored that I have two authors of uh, the study here uh, with us today. The first author is Kadir Büyükdogan, and we have Ilker Eren, both from the Koch University Hospital in Istanbul in Turkey. Let me ask you one question, Kadir. Yes. What exactly is a transosseous equivalent repair? This term, I, I think we are all used to use this yeah. term since the last 20 or maybe more years. Before, before our modern anchors, the standard method was, method was using uh, transosseous passages. Yes. But today, today, our modern techniques can provide similar biomechanical uh, strength, uh, repair strength. That's why we were, it, it, it was shown that these techniques were equivalent before. That's, that's why we were using this term, but the techniques differ very much since then, of course. So maybe you can give us a, a comprehensive summary of your study of what you have done. Between January 2007 and August 2009, we have retrospectively uh, inspected nearly 100 patients uh, who underwent uh, arthroscopic transosseous equivalent repair of medium to massive full thickness rotator cuff tears. And the follow-up time was, yeah, the inclusion criteria was the minimum follow-up uh, follow time of 10 years. And we retrospectively analyzed our patients and invited them to clinic for uh, clinical and MRI evaluation. Nearly 76 of the patients were uh, able to get back to clinic and 69 of them underwent, agreed to underwent MRI. We collected their functional outcomes, including constant score, ASS score, VAS score, and we evaluated their tendon integrity with MRI, and we asked their patient satisfaction, and then evaluated the outcomes based on these findings. That's the overall design of our study. Maybe we can add here that all of these patients were operated with the, with the same technique and, and by a single surgeon. Uh, that, that I think this is one of our strengths. Yes. Uh, the technique we used was published and researched in many studies. So 
two medial anchors, two lateral yeah, anchors, the, and both are um, the sutures we used that time was fiber wire, uh, and they were placed in a crossed fashion. Yes. Uh, we at that time we used medial nuts. So all these patients had oh. medial row nuts. Yes, no, uh, and lateral row was not this, of course. Uh, so all the patients was operated using same technique. So if you compare your technique today, how you solve these rotator cuff tears now in comparison to 10 years ago, did you change something? Yes, yes, we changed the technique. Uh, there are several reasons for that. Today, to, today we are not using knots anymore we are using uh, more more thick fiber tapes to create a, a better contact area for the healing uh, and increase to, to achieve a better force distribution of course and to avoid uh, medial knots problems obviously if you have uh, around about 21% retear rate in your group Yeah, 10 years time span. How much would that defer to other techniques? Do you know something about it? Yes. Uh, according to tenure outcomes, for example, the study of Sofcourt Group, Colin, in 2017, they were following up the arthroscopic single rows and open transversals. Uh, they used MRI for evaluation of the tendon integrity, and they reported uh, a rare rate of 60% to 25%. Huberer from Germany uh, also published the arthroscopic single row repairs, and they evaluated their patients with MRI also, and they reported a nearly 50% of rare ruptures. Uh, of course, there are lots of different uh, results, Uh, but our results were comparable with the published literature. Okay, so your your technique, so the double row technique with two medial anchors, two lateral anchors, after time span of 10 years, is in some instances superior to other techniques and in some instances equivalent. Is that could you say that? It's not easy to say, say that. that yes, there there are two different studies, two two. Um, Two different techniques, obviously, but uh, it's not easy to compare completely two different studies. So, yes, probably this technique is better to single row repairs in the long run, uh, but to 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 make a solid uh, comment on it, you have to compare it yourself, of course, in a in a at least level two or three study. Actually, yeah. we can yeah. we can compare with the early outcomes of these repairs, for example, minimum two-year follow-up results and 10-year follow-up results. When we compare, yeah, it's, I think, more uh, logically compare these uh, two data with the same surgical technique, then our results were, again, comparable with these two-year follow-up data. And there was there was one thing I have seen in your presentation And that's diabetes. What yes. impact had diabetes in your study group? In our multivariate analysis, diabetes has a 3.3 times increased risk of rare rupture. 
And when we stratified our patients with the diagnosis of diabetes, nearly uh, half of our failures were diagnosed with diabetes. And what wh- what do you think? Why could that? Why why is that so? What what makes the tendon prone to re-rupture if you have diabetes? Diabetes is a kind of vasculitis. It it disrupts the healing potential and vascularity, and not specific to shoulder region, but all of the body's healing potential decreases in a diabetes because it's a systemic disease and affects the healing. That's one of the most logical explanation. Diabetes is a very important topic for us today. Uh, patients with an unregulated diabetes is a surgical contraindication for us. Yes. So before before a rotator cuff repair, if the patient has a diabetes diagnosis before, we always check uh, check the the regulation of the patient, uh, hemoglobin A1C levels. And if it is unregulated, uh, if the A1C level is above seven, uh, we wait. Postpone surgery. We postpone the surgery. So achieving a normal glycemic level. Okay, that's interesting. So seven is your cutoff. Is that right? Yes, that's true. And what do you think about low-grade infections and diabetes? Could it be that your re-ruptures maybe are also linked to a kind of low-grade infections in the shoulder, which is more often seen in diabetes? Uh, we have no data. We, we, we don't have data so to comment on it, infection. of course. So we, our, we don't know if the patients who failed after the surgery have a positive infection or not. But I think that's a very important point. Uh, it's a possible reason. So these patients are prone to many complications, uh, including infection. Uh, it's a possible reason, of course, maybe. And um, there were some other hazards. So not only diabetes, you mentioned in your presentation uh, two, two other uh, hazards of or, or risk factors for yes. re-rupture after a follow-up of 10 years. What would that be? The tear size more than three centimeters and the uh, infraspinatus involvement. Uh, they have an increased risk of uh, hazard ratio of 5.8 and 4.4, respectively. And tear size is an established risk factor of preoperative risk uh, for the failed repairs. And in our subgroup analysis, uh, the medium tears has a 5% fail rate. Large tears has a 22%, but the massive tears nearly have a 50% retirement. Nearly uh, six of 12 shoulders with massive retirements failed at the end of this follow-up period. So it was a definite risk factor. So if you have, if a patient comes to your um, to your clinic and he's a diabetic, and um, let's say it's not. A strong diabetic, so he he does not drop out of the game uh, immediately because of a diabetes. So let's say he's under your cutoff value, but still he has a large tear bigger than three centimeters, and the infraspinatus is involved, and you do the surgery. 
Um, while you do your surgery, do you think differently about how you do your procedure? So because you know about your retear rate, would you treat these patients differently then? These two factors are not, of course, the, are not the only uh, on, only prognostic, uh, factor. prognostic factors of for these patients because one of one of the uh, the important factor is the fatty degeneration of this patient. If they have a gutelier tree or over degeneration, uh, smoker. Okay. For example, in this study, we were not able to show that the effect of smoking. But still, if a small, if the patient is smoker, if has a fatty degeneration, uh, diabetes, these all these all affect our decisions. We, if we can repair, if if the tear is repairable, we of course indicate the surgery, but regulate the diabetes, ask the patient to stop, stop smoking, uh, check the degeneration, so, and also inform the patient about possible failures. Now, of course, I have to include age as well. That's another important factor yes. on decision. There was one thing I was wondering a little bit because the mean tear size of your whole study group was yes. 3.1 centimeters. 3.5. So the, that's the mean tear size. And uh, tear size over three centimeters is simultaneously a hazard ratio of over five, almost six. So the mean tear size is simultaneously a big hazard. Mm -hmm. how, how would you say so? How would you how how would you um, interpret these results? There are two two different things here. Last year we published a study on measuring tear size uh, on MRI, and the measured tear size uh, intraoperatively. There is a there is almost twofold change after performing a adequate debridement on the tendon tissue. We, I don't remember the exact numbers, but we measure on average one point something on MRIs, but treat close to three centimeter tears during the surgery. So these, that's one reason for the difference on these numbers. After debridement, uh, proper debridement, it's, we believe in repairing a healthy tendon is a critical point on having good results. So 3.2 centimeters was measured, of course, yeah, after debridement. Okay, so you uh, the numbers you have presented are the measurements of the uh, of the tendon tear intraoperatively. Yes. yes, that's true. Are you going to follow up your your cohort for a longer time? Why not? If we can, of course. Of course. <laughs> we'll of course. What a stupid question. <laughs> so uh, everyone, everyone was curious about 10 year results. Yeah, now, there yeah, are yeah. several the studies. Patients were really uh, were happy to be invited to be calling yes, for this true. study. Why? You are that's taking true. care of us. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's that's sometimes 
a magical thing when when the doctor, the physician calls the patient and wants to see him again and asks, how are you doing? So Yes. Uh, some of the patients forgotten their surgery. Yeah, it was an Incredible yeah. for us. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about when you do some studies and you meet people again. And especially when you meet people on a regular basis, when they come to you once a year. So you know these people since 10 years. And then sometimes you look at them and say, is it really true that one year has passed already? Yeah. <laughs> so sometimes for me, when I see these people, I, I, I recognize how fast things are moving. And um, time is also moving very fast. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you very much for giving us um, the opportunity to look a little bit deeper in your study. And thank you very much for presenting this. And I think we will hear a lot of more from um, from your study group in uh, from Istanbul, which is uh, very active and very active in our society. So thank you very much for um, for this interview, and I hope to see you soon, live and in person, and one day in the future. Thank so, you very uh, much. Thank it you. was a, it was a pleasure for us, Emilio. I'm sometimes thinking if we if we see these results, so. 80% are okay. We have 20% retail rates, but you know, I mean, most of the patients are okay. Not too much revisions. What can we do to improve this? That's a very, that's an excellent question. Uh, we have very good advances in terms of, of technical uh, uh, skills and, and technical devices to repair the retro cough, but uh, we need to improve more on biology. Sometimes we're able to repair our tendons, but we need to improve biological conditions. Probably there's a, there's a huge future and need to research on the potential uh, benefits of certain therapies like, uh, like uh, growth factors, stem cells, or even um, reinforces of our tendons with membranes or on a, a other types of devices. So these are very important. And this is a huge, a huge uh, area to be explored in of therapy. This is very important. So biology is our pending uh, 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 activity to be, uh, to be developed in the following years. Another important uh, um, um, condition to, to take into account is patient's opinion. Sometimes uh, repair, in spite of the good results, requires plenty of time in terms of immobilization, physical therapy, and strength regain. So it's important to uh, uh, ask our patients how do they feel because after one year, the majority of patients are, are very happy with the results, but it's a, long, it's a long run to get that. On the other hand, we have some procedures like reverse shoulder arthroplasty, which is much faster. It's more aggressive theoretically, but it's much faster. So again, we need to know what our patients think about the long run to uh, have a good outcome on cough repair. And second, uh, we need to uh, try to decrease this recovery period. So again, we need to uh, do more research in rapid recovery systems or uh, uh, um, accelerated rehabilitation programs. Emilio, thank you very much for these closure remarks. It uh, was a great honor to have you here and to talk to you about this. 
And uh, yeah, thank you very much for listening to this uh, podcast episode today with Professor Emilio Calvo Pres Crespo, the president of the Society of Shoulder and Elbow Surgery. Thank you very much. Thank you very much really, for inviting me. It's, a, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. This was the podcast on long-term outcomes after arthroscopic, not less transosseous equivalent repair, clinical and MRI results of medium to large tears at a minimum follow-up of 10 years with Kadir Buyukdogan and Ilke Eren from Istanbul. My name is Robert Hudek. I hope you enjoyed. Take care and stay healthy. <laughs>